Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Hyperion Hub, your meeting place for all things Disney. Now your hosts. Hello and welcome to the Hyperion Hub. I'm John Alois and joined by Sean Degenhart. Hello there. And John Redling Schaefer. Hello, hello. Before we start the show, I want to remind you, we are on all the major social media platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter, we are at Hub Hyperion. If you'd like to get a hold of us, you can email us at podcast at thehyperionhub.com. You can also send us a voice recorded message there. All right. We like to start the show off with our Disney view. And tonight we're talking with Sarah Gillespie, the sister of the late Howard Ashman, the incredible lyricist who, along with Alan Menken, created timeless classics. For our Disney view this week, I thought we'd share our favorite Howard Ashman song. Let's start with Sean. I'm going to have to go with the Academy Award winning Beauty and the Beast, the title song from the movie. Um such a beautiful melody. And then the way Howard paired the lyrics, I mean, the whole theme is beauty and the beast. So opposite. So you look at the lyrics, you know, as they're falling in love, ever just the same, but it's ever a surprise. Ever as before as it had been, but sure as the sun will rise. You know, bittersweet and strange. Just those beautiful little poignant pairings of lyrics um, that really play off the idea that these two are opposites, but, you know, really meant for each other. And Angela Lansbury's performance is impeccable. Yeah, perfect. John? I can't steer too far away from that classic. Mine's Belle, simply named. A look inside the wonderful character, whether it be spoken word, instrumentals, singing. We learn right away what bothers her. Maybe this provincial life, right? Something about that. We also learn a little bit about that guy in town who seems really interested in her. It's just an amazing story and background that in a matter of minutes, we know so much about so many of the characters. Yeah, a great point. You know, the movie starts off with kind of a poetic look at the Beast's story. And then by the end of that first song, we know everything there is to know about Belle. Yeah, great song. Mine is uh, from... Aladdin, the musical. Unfortunately, it was cut from the theatrical release, but thankfully it found its way back into the musical and it's called Proud of Your Boy. And another one of those moments where we truly find out who Aladdin is and he wants to be something more than what he is. And his uh, mother who had passed away, he wants to make her proud. Uh, and uh, it's it's everything that you want to know right there in the song, and um, special for me as well. And maybe we'll find out what Sarah's favorite Howard Ashman song is. All right, today we are so fortunate to be joined by Sarah Ashman Gillespie, the sister of a man every Disney fan should know, appreciate, and admire, award-winning writer, director, and lyricist, Howard Ashman. Sarah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It's my pleasure. We were fortunate to have Don Hahn as an earlier guest on our show, and we absolutely love talking with Don about many things, but particularly uh, his film on Disney+, Plus, Howard, a film about your brother, which you have a significant role in, kind of discussing Howard's life. How did you get involved in that project? Um, I've known Don because he produced Beauty, and he's been a kind of a He's just a lovely man. Um, and so I've known Don 
for years. And um, I was out in L.A. It was an animation convention of some sort. I don't remember exactly what it was. But um, I was out in L.A. and Don said, let's have a cup of coffee. And he kind of just presented that he was kind of like to do this. And what did I think? And and I thought, sure, why not? I, I Don's a hard man to say no to. Um, but I said, you know, sure, why not? And I, and I totally trusted him and do do still trust him. And um, when I came back, spoke to Bill Lauk, who along with me, we are kind of, we're Howard's estate more than that. We consider ourselves the keeper of Howard's memory, um, so to speak. So, you know, it, it's very important to us that the right people be involved. And Don's very much the right, right person. Yeah, and it was. It was such a wonderful insight um, especially I loved the early look into his life. And honestly, I have to say, I think we're talking to his inspiration. You, you mentioned at one point how, um, you know, he directed your, you know, between backyard musicals and actually your birthday parties. <laughs> <laughs> I had the best birthday parties on the block. I really <laughs> did. And also he did my costumes and makeup for Halloween when I was pretty spectacular. Yeah, yeah I was very lucky. Well, and, and it clearly it's that love um, of theater, even as a child. I mean, just amazing to read what he did. And, you know, I if you wouldn't mind, kind of in your mind, you have to imagine the early theater love and hearing, I believe you said Gilbert and Sullivan uh, on, on, your, on Howard's website, you mentioned how Gilbert and Sullivan was always playing in the house. Uh, this love of theater just had to pave a, a natural path towards his love for Disney. Yes. Uh, the, the love of Gilbert and Sullivan actually was my mother's love. She was um, an amateur, I think for about 20 minutes there, she was a professional um, singer. And she is, still has at 96 a, a, a quite, well, a quite beautiful voice. Um, and so she sang light opera around the house. We had every, um, every musical uh, on Broadway imme immediately came, came uh, we, we bought everyone. Um, one thing Howard used to do, he, he um, Howard loved to explain things and loved to teach, which I think that comes through, especially in the Disney lectures. Um, and he loved to teach and I was a very willing student. So he would, he would read the, um, you know, in the, in the back of an LP, there's a description of the story. They tell you the story of the musical and Howard would, would, I didn't realize he hadn't seen any of the shows. Of course, we were in Baltimore, not New York. I didn't realize he had never seen these shows. He kind of read those synopsis and kind of incorporated it so much that he would describe these so shows to me. I had no idea we didn't see anything. Uh, he, I saw nothing. He saw nothing more than I did. We saw the Ed Sullivan show and maybe once every couple of years got to go to New York and see something. But so he was, he was very much that person. I don't, honestly remember the very first movie um he used to tell this story not me he's old he was three years older than me i believe it was pinocchio but he went to see that and that was one of the his first kind of introduction to putting stories and songs together um he went my mother took him to see a he was very theatrical as a kid and he, you, you saw the video in in, in howard the, the documentary you certainly see him dancing around um he was very theatrical as a kid um and took a lot of guff for that as a kid as well um and but he 
he fell in love with me. He fell in love with theater from going to see one show. And there was a group called Children's Theater Association in Baltimore run by this brilliant woman named uh, Isabel Berger, but she was known as Deary by everyone, parents and, and children alike. And she, I, I think she really imbued the love of theater in him. Uh, she wasn't fond of musicals, so <laughs> he, he didn't, he didn't do musicals for her. And I, I just, there was never any doubt in, I think in my mind, and again, I was an adoring younger sister, but I don't think it was any real doubt from most of his family that he was going to do something in theater. I don't think we really thought it was going to be film. Um, I think that that came about, it was um, a lucky moment. Really, Jeffrey Katzenberg had a lot to do with that and, and David Geffen um, because they basically said, uh, Geffen had produced Little Shop of Horrors and said to, to Katzenberg, you've got you've to gotta see this guy, you've got to use this guy. And I think it came at the right time in his life, but there was always this love of children's theater. Um, he, he, he grew up in it. Um, he was never condescending in it, which I think is the secret to his success with a lot, with not the only secret, but a, a deep part of what he did right in the lyrics and in, in, in working on the, the, the animation, the, the, the films for Disney was that he, Howard worked to amuse himself. You know, my favorite line is, um, I'm especially fond of expectorating because kids all over America had to run to the dictionary and see what the <laughs> hell they was talking about, uh, including me, and I was an adult by then. But, you know, Howard amused himself and very aware of an audience all along. I mean, plenty of things he did amuse himself he would not put for an audience. But, you know, I think that was a large part of what his success was out. He, he, he truly, truly, truly loved what he was doing. And it was the only thing, I wasn't the only thing he could do, but I think it was the only thing he wanted to do. That and direct. You said there were other things he could do. What were some of his other talents? And was he able to incorporate everything and put it into what he eventually did? Yeah, I mean, when we were very little, he wrote poems for my grandmother. He wrote, he wrote songs. He, he, he always wrote. My mom thought he was going to, he was going to be an actor. He was a very good actor. Um, he wrote um, an, an, a non-musical play. The first thing he wrote, full-length play he had, the first two, two or three shows that he had that were actually produced in New York were, were non-musicals. He was kind of, oh, and we, and we were both in, in he started out, and his first job in New York was, was in publishing. And... Um, he wrote to me, I was in college at the time and he would, we, I have letters that he wrote and he would say, something tells me if I, if I play my cards right and if I, they like me and I like them, something tells me I could have a heck of a career in publishing. And he was very excited that the, the publishing company was going to send him to take a, a class in editorial, um, at NYU or someplace. So he was, he was always going to be creative, but I, I, don't know exactly, you know, I, 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 it was always going to be creative, but there were, there were many, many things um, he could do. But there were, they were always in the, he was certainly never going to be a football player. Um, he couldn't dance. <laughs> you know, there were plenty of things he couldn't do. Um, but he was going to always have a creative life. Um, I'm grateful to Disney. I'm grateful that he had the career he had because everybody kind of learned about this wonderful man I knew. But I actually do believe had he stayed at the WPA and kept WPA was the theater he and 
um, a few other people started in, in the city back in the 70s, a little off-Broadway off theater. And I think if he had stayed doing that, but he was directing and he was writing, I think he might have been just as happy, honestly. I don't, it was never for him about success. I mean, no, that's not fair. He, he loved success. He was very much enjoyed himself. But I don't believe he ever did those things to be famous, to be a star, or even to get rich. Um, I think he did those things because he loved those things. And if I may interrupt myself, the other thing he, um, he did very well um, was he was a really good cook. And um, every one of his shows has a food song in it. Um, uh, you know, uh, Be Our Guest, um, uh, what's the one that the, the chef sings, La Poisson, Les Poissons. Um, Little Shop is all, obviously, <laughs> feed me. Um, he was kind of obsessed with food, too. <laughs> Following up when you're talking about how um, he was never really concerned with the success, he just enjoyed it all. So from childhood, sitting, watching Disney movies, being involved in theater, producing shows, um, you know, doing whatever he could, was there ever a moment in his career when Howard said, this is it, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, this is what I love, or was it everything? I think he, he and he talks about this again in an interview that Don found in, um, in, in Howard in the documentary, it's always funny for me to call the movie Howard. I have trouble with it, but in the documentary, um, but where he 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 always kind of fooled around with lyrics and things, but he never really sat down to do lyrics until he was working with a a, a man called um, Dennis Green, who was had written lyrics for um, an off off Broadway show Howard had worked on, and then they were going to work together on God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater, um, which was the first show he wrote with Alan Mankin. And Howard and Dennis were writing lyrics. And Dennis finally, and Dennis tells the story. I'm not telling stories from him. Dennis finally said, you know what? You, you should go do this. <laughs> you, you can do this. And, and Howard kind of took over the lyrics, although Dennis does, it, rightly so, have some credits in, in Rosewater as co-lyricist. But, you know, um, I think that he really fell in love with doing that. And he found out he was good at it. Um, and I, I actually think he... He um, truly loved directing. And, and I think what he liked in working on the Disney films, he was not at all the director, but they were nice enough to listen to him <laughs> and do what he said. He really did like when people did what he said. Um, and he, they were nice enough to kind of listen to him and let him kind of go off and on a tangent. Not always, you know, the, the powers that be were not always happy about that, but I think that's what he loved, is that he, it was like he got this giant play box, toy box to play in. So he was a storyteller, but he did that through his lyrics. And I remember Don talking about that, how everybody listened when Howard was talking. Yeah, he did have that effect. And I think when you said uh, inspiration, I wasn't, but I, I do believe I was his biggest and remained his greatest fan. Um, and partly because I just like to listen. <laughs> um, but yes, um, um, he, he had that effect on people and on, on most people I know, I mean, I'm sure there are people who really didn't like it, but you know, for by and large, most people I, I know basically like to listen to him and he would always gather people around him or people would gather around him because usually where Howard was, was fun. Um, I used to say to him on the little shop days when he find, when he did have success that 
he was the only person I knew who actually got better with success. You know, um, he just had more fun. Well, and, and that is why, you know, that the film is, is just so incredible because we're building this arc for those of our listeners who don't realize or fully appreciate uh, what Howard has done. I mean, we could go on for hours to talk about this, but I, I think when you talk about, um, you know, him being a pivotal role in the renaissance of Disney animated musicals and developing, oh, I don't know, such things as The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. My goodness, when I told my wife, you know, who we were talking to for this episode, here's a redheaded girl who grew up in the 80s and 90s. Oh boy, you can about guess what her favorite movie is. You know, it's it's that. It's, it's the beauty of, you know, certainly... Um, he wasn't always feeling 100% there during those those times. But what what an amazing, you know, fortitude to power through and tell those stories with all he was going through. Well, I, I think fortitude, and I actually think it's what kept him going, um, a large part of it, is he really did love the work. And I think, you know, I was thinking about this earlier. Um, un unfortunately, the people who worked with him on at Disney, except for the people in the I guess in the creative creative beginnings of Mermaid, by the time he's promoting it, he he already knew he was he was already ill. Um, but they got to see him. They got to see the person who oh he wasn't always sick, but who was struggling with with a a, a, a mortal illness. And they didn't see the other person, so there's always a very skewed view when you get to Howard's Disney years. He was not all fun and games. He was not all goodness and light. He could be nasty and, and a lot of his wit was cutting. Um, but he also, as I say, he was, you know, people gathered around him and, and he was kind of, he didn't try to be the center, but he was just, was just more fun around him. You know, I mean, um, my, I moved to New York cause Howard told me to move to New York. Um, I <laughs> I did whatever Howard told me, um, but he I was thinking about it and I wasn't sure and I wasn't happy in Baltimore and he finally said, "Just move to New York. You look like all the other women here. Just move here." You know. <laughs> um, and but 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 really, um, and he he got us all jobs and when we 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 had this wonderful little thing going, we would get each other jobs and you know he would write freelance stuff for me and and it, it was just fun to be around him. And, and those days are what don't get talked about much. I mean, what I loved about Don is he let us talk a bit about that. But um, once it goes into the Disney years, it becomes kind of somber almost because it was a somber, difficult period, obviously. But one thing I always like to make very clear is that Howard's death was tragic, but his life was not. And I, I, I do think we have to keep that in mind. Well, and I think that uh, I was a sophomore in high school when Beauty and the Beast came out. And I was interested in theater and, you know, doing music and everything. But that was my first, I think, um, Howard Ashman musical that I had seen in the theaters. And I remember the, um, the dedication you know, about um, the man who gave a mermaid her voice and a beast his soul. I mean, that made an impact on me. And wanted me to, you know, learn more about this man. And, you know, in just the few short years that he was even with Disney, but just the amount of output that there was, I mean, that in itself was inspirational. Yeah. I, I wasn't prepared for that when I saw a screening. And I, that, that was just. Yeah. 
course, it was so soon after Howard's death. Um, you know, the making. I don't remember. I remember him working on the the first treatment of Aladdin, which was way before Beauty, and I think it was while they were working on Mermaid. Um, I remember him working on that and talking about that and being disappointed that it wasn't picked up. Um, but I don't remember him actually working on Aladdin, but I, I very much remember him work, working. I think the thing I remember him working most on was beauty because by that time he was living in New York, I was seeing him more. He was sick. And so I was there more. Um, and we would watch, we would watch the pencil roughs, you know, they would send him pencils and we'd watch. Um, but yeah, so beauty is for me a lot of more, a lot of significance. And, mm -hmm. and, you really want to be a sentimental slob. Um, one of the last gifts he gave me was a um, a beautiful. I think it's it's. I, I don't know. It's silver and it's it's, it's very fancy. But it was a was rose that would last forever. Huh. When he gave it to me, he said, "You know why I gave it to you, and I, why I gave that to you." And I, I just said because it'll last forever. You know. So that was kind of beauty for me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, one of the things that's fascinating to me, and, and you've talked about it a little bit, um, his directing. Uh, the mm -hmm. fact that he was able, I, there's some wonderful footage of him working with Jody Benson mm -hmm. and, you know, doing what the directors would typically do, but he was working with her while she was uh, performing Part of Your World. And oh. I think he helped create that character not only through his lyrics, but through his directing. And if you if you really kind of break down Ariel, you know, she's kind of a snotty brat at the start of the movie. She really is. And then after part of your world, she becomes endearing, and we kind of fall in love with her dream. And that's because of, that's one song that changes our minds about her. And um, so to have that that ability to step in and direct was is is almost it's almost underappreciated you know in a sense yeah. yeah i agree with you and you know jody i'm always so struck when jody talks about that because um you know in theater it's just not i i was taught you know that the director doesn't give line re line readings that that's you know most actors actors don't want directors give line readings and Jody does say at one point you know Howard started your teacher said just Howard just tell me what to do just just give me the line reading I will do it um and I think that's because Howard you know all good artists I think are empathetic and he had a great deal of empathy and when you were talking about stories Howard would make up stories I mean, I thought our family was fascinating. It turned out our family was like any other family. But our family was fascinating <laughs> because he would tell these stories about our family and make them fascinating. And it, what he was was a storyteller. Um, but also what he was, you're right, was a, was a director and everything that goes back to him telling me what to do. Um, <laughs> the other thing, at least in theater, and I imagine, in, in especially in animation, I would imagine on film sets as well, you know, the the um they become little families and certainly when you're doing a show it's it's, it's a little family and the director is the daddy <laughs> and howard really was a very paternal man um and i maybe that's part of what he'd like doing children's theater and children i mean he'd like doing children's theater when he was a child but like you know 
working for children, essentially, which is what he was doing. Um, but, you know, it was that creation of family. And I think that, yeah, I think that that was, that was part of what the appeal was to him. And being the director, he liked being the leader of the ship. He, he knew what he wanted. He really was very sure what those movies should look like. And he didn't want to step on anybody's feet. And God, I don't want to take anything away from any of the directors of those. I mean, they, they of the animated films, they think they sometimes get short shrift. And they, they put so much together. <laughs> you know, it's an amazing thing they do. Um, but in terms of just of the character and of that's what Howard wanted to, to grow and to make happen. You know, um, he was in awe of what animators did and all he would bring, bring, um, I worked in, I was actually worked in, in comics and newspaper comics. So he would bring me, you know, things to say, do you see how great this guy is? I think he was trying to, again, make something happen for this animator who maybe wanted to be a cartoon, I mean, a newspaper comic too. So, you know, he, he, he was really in all of what they did. One of my favorite clips, and I don't remember if it was in Howard or if it was in a bonus feature or something, but talking about um, Howard coaching Paige um, in Beauty and the Beast, and he just said, Barbara Streisand. (laughs) And, you know, on on new and a bit alarming. And he knew exactly one syllable in the whole show. He knew exactly how he wanted it to sound and what it should be. And I I love that. He he heard it. Hmm. He heard it. Yeah, and that's why his, I think, why his... Uh, demos that he did with Alan were so wonderful. Um, yeah, he was talented and he was a good mimic and a good singer, but it wasn't about that. It was about embodying those characters and performing it the way he wanted it performed and the way he wanted to hear it. I have to ask, uh, do you have a favorite song of Howard's? I Every time I'm asked this, I remember one when I, I, I think of it when I eat running around. But I'm going to disappoint you. It's, it's, it's not going to be a, a Disney one. It's okay. He did it. He did a song called Daughter of God, and it's, it's gospel-esque. He wrote it with Alan, and it's just beautiful. That and In Smile, which he wrote with Marvin Hamlish, there's a song called Bob's song, Big Bob's Song. And to me, it kind of sounds, Howard sings it on the demo of it, but it, it's not Howard um, at all. Um, but there's a sweetness to it and an understanding of wanting to be good, wanting to be a good guy that I, I really love in that song. Well, what you didn't see, uh, for those of you listening, is the three of us writing down Daughter of God and Big Bob song, because who better than to guide us to some outstanding things that are lesser known? Um, Sarah, I, we can't thank you enough uh, for joining us tonight you know sharing these memories whether it be in the film or even tonight please know there are three three podcast hosts that are joining you here uh who just love your brother's work and and just wonderful to have you to talk about his legacy his memory and and let's be honest his work has done nothing but bring joy to all of our hearts and minds for so many years and will continue to do so it's really been a pleasure and you guys are great i really good questions and a good conversation. So thank you. Thank you, Sarah. We're glad you could join us. We'd love to hear from you. You can email or send us a recorded audio message at podcast at the Hyperion hub.com. Find us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The Hyperion hub is not affiliated with the Walt Disney company or its subsidiaries. We'll meet you next time at 
the Hyperion Hub. 